this week, we finish off Advent by, by jumping ahead 12 years. Last week, we, we focused on Jesus' birth. This week, we're going to take a trip into Jerusalem with Joseph, Mary, and Jesus. And things, they don't, they don't really go the way that Joseph and Mary expect them to. How they react and, and how Jesus responds tells us a lot about ourselves and, and our own relationships with the Lord. May God bless you as he speaks through his word this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52. We read the word of the Lord. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But they were unaware of it. Thinking that he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's the end of the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word today, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. So Joseph and Mary take Jesus with them as they attend the Passover feast in Jerusalem. This was a a feast that, that all Jewish men were expected to attend. And, and with the dispersion, with, with the spreading out of, of all of, of the Jewish people, with how spread out the people of Israel had become through the exile and through the wars, it wasn't an easy trip to make. It wasn't an easy trip for, for all of the men to make. And so there were, like, there were some that just were like, you know, forget it. It's just too long. I'm not, I'm not going. But there was still that expectation. There was still the expectation. And, and Joseph made the trip. Our verses tell us that Jesus was now 12 And so he was now, according to the Jewish understanding, a son of the law. So this expectation was now on on Jesus as well. This understanding that it's time for you to go. Like we got to go to the Passover feast in Jerusalem. And so he was expected to make the journey with Joseph. Now women were not expected to make this trip. Though they were welcome to if they desired. If they wanted to, they could. This was something that the men, this is what you got to do. This is just part of being a man. This is what you get to do. Ladies, you don't have to. You're welcome to come along. But it's not like an expectation. It's not an element of the law that we have on you at this time. But Mary, we read, went with Joseph and Jesus. And in this, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting a picture. We're getting an idea of how devout Mary and Joseph are. They're, they're super devout. They decided to make this, this long journey, this dangerous trip, and they made it as a family. And so they make the trek to Jerusalem. But, but they didn't go alone. You didn't travel alone in these days unless you were inviting trouble. 
There are too many robbers, too many dangerous people, too many you know, animals, things that could happen on the road that it was, it was better, it was safer to travel in numbers. And so they went with many other families, many other people, and made a large caravan, mostly because of the safety that numbers provide, but also because it is more fun. It's more enjoyable to go as a big group. Jesus had uncles and and aunts and cousins around to enjoy the journey. Members of the family were part of this caravan. They'd also make acquaintances, and and this was a good time to branch out your your social network, to make new friends. I'm sure Joseph used this trip, uh, used used these, these journeys to further his business. These trips were made once a year in large groups with many friendly and familiar faces. And so Joseph and Mary participate in the feast. And then this, this big party heads home. And, and that's, that's where things take a bit of a turn. That's where we get the unexpected. Joseph and Mary have an, you know, I thought he was with you experience. Uh, mothers and fathers, any, any of us have maybe like just anybody. Yeah, I, I thought so-and-so was with you. Isn't that, I remember when I was, I was like nine years old and I was at a friend's birthday party and they had that birthday party at, at, a, at Pizza Hut. And I went and I remember like going to the going to the, the, the mother of my friend and being like, hey, I've got to use the bathroom. So that's where I'm going to be. And she's like, all right. So I go to the bathroom. When I come out, everyone's gone. Like they have left. They are gone to the movies without me. And I mean, this is before cell phones. I know I'm dating myself a little bit here, but we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have the ability. to. Like, so I'm just like stuck at, at, at Pizza Hut hoping that someone remembers that they forgot me. Right. Like that, that's where I'm at. And they come rushing back. So sorry. I thought he was with so-and-so. And I thought you were with this guy. And everyone just, it was a mix-up. We're sorry. I know you told it's, it's okay. That, that dreaded, I thought he was with you experience. That's, that's devastating. I mean, it's one thing at a birthday party when it's not your kid. It's like, well, there's an excuse there, right? But when it's our kid, that, that's, that's embarrassing. That, that can be pretty devastating to a parent and probably to a child as well. Mary and Joseph, they could not find Jesus. Dude is gone. And, and so they searched. They, they went through the whole caravan. But there's so many people, so many friends and cousins and family members that Jesus could, could be with, that he could have been hanging out with, so many different places that, that he might have been. It took them a whole day. They couldn't find him. If they realize, it takes them a day to realize he's not with the caravan. So they head back to the big city. They head back to Jerusalem hoping that they can find Jesus. What a, what a gut-wrenching experience. What a daunting task. What a terrible situation. Your country boy child is lost in the big city. I'm sure there's like a Home Alone, you know, to Lost in New York, like illustration here somewhere. I couldn't find it, so I didn't, I didn't use it. But this, this little guy is lost in the big city. And, 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 and for Mary and Joseph, it's not just their child. We're talking about the Son of God here. We're talking about the Son of God, the hope of the world. Uh, like, I don't know, six, seven, uh, nine, actually. Nine years ago, I, I should know. Nine years ago, uh, Karen and I were living in, in Buffalo, New York, a suburb of Buffalo, New York, in North Tonawanda. And we had, we had two little dogs. Don't ask me why we got little dogs. I don't know why I did that to myself, but we had, we had two little dogs. One was a little white guy. Uh, Kaiser was his name. He was wound, wound real tight. He's a little rat terrier. 
he, I don't know, he was a little uptight. Like he was, he was stressed out like all the time. And so to calm him down, we got a second dog. Funny how that works sometimes. And she was awesome. She was this little black Scottish terrier. Her name was Belle. She was fantastic. Now, Kaiser would like listen to me most of the time. Belle would kind of listen. And then if there was something that was cooler or better than me around, that's where she went. Well, it was my job to take the dogs out at night, and so I take our dogs outside to go to the bathroom. And most of the time, I was wise enough to put the leash on them. This particular night, I was not, and, and normally there wasn't an issue. And so I went outside, and, and I was having the dogs, and a cat was in our backyard, and Belle got so excited. And not that she wanted to attack the cat, but she just thought that she was cool enough that everybody wanted to play with her. And so she went after this thing, like, let's hang out, man. Like, let's have a good time. She's gone. I have no idea where my dog is. Like, none. And that feeling of having to wake your wife up and be like, yeah, so I lost your dog because I didn't decide to put the leash on her because I was lazy. That's not a fun conversation. And, and, and so we go and we have this conversation. And then we're like, I mean, late into the night, we're, we're out calling her name, walking the streets, and, and then it's like, okay, we're not going to find her. It's too dark. She's black. This isn't going to work. Is she stuck under a shed somewhere? Is she playing with a dog somewhere else? Did she find the cat? How's the cat doing? We don't know what's going on, so we're going to wait until the morning. So we call in the next thing. It's like, I, I can't come into work. i got to find my dog. And so we're looking, we're looking for this dog. We spent all day looking for this dog. All the usual places. All the usual places we go trying to find her. Other people with dogs, right? Under the shed where she'd been before. Uh, you know, in, in the house with the cat. Like, all of the different areas. In the park, because she loves those things. All of the places that we could think of that, that she liked, that she wanted to go, that a dog would want to be. That's where we went and we looked. And we could not find her anywhere. She was gone. It took Mary and Joseph three days to find their precious son. Three days. Can you imagine? Searching for your child for three days in the big, unfamiliar city. They finally found him in the temple. Jesus is engaging the rabbis in conversation and discussion about the scriptures. And all who are listening are amazed at the wisdom and understanding that the young man is displaying. Joseph and Mary have found their son. Their worry and their fear dissolves into relief and then quickly spills into something more. Anger. And that is a reaction that I am completely familiar with. We have, we have a bunk bed in our house because we've got five kids. And, and when you're trying to fit five kids into a smaller room, you just get a different type of bunk bed, right? So we got the single bunk up top and then we got the double on the bottom. So our bunk bed kind of makes an L. There's like this ledge that you can hit. And, and we're, in, we're in Minnesota, and I'm sitting on the couch. And you know how like, when you hear like, the bump, at least this is with our kids, you hear like, the bump or the, like, the tumble, and then you just kind of wait. And you wait for like, what the cry is going to be like. And, and if there's no cry, then you're good. If there's like a long silence before the wail starts, then you know it's a big deal. And, and the length of this silence is proportionate to how much pain the child is in. So if there's like a long like, silence... And then this massive wail, you're running, man, like something big happened. And that's, that's basically what happened here. There, I, I'm sitting on the couch and I hear this, thump, 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 bam, you know, like all, all the noises. 
And there's this long, I'm like, oh, he's probably all right. And then the whale kicks in. Oh, no. I go running in, and Asher is laying on the floor in between the bed and the dressers. There's a dresser. So we had the, the bunk bed, so there's a single, and it comes down. There's the double. And there's this little area, and then there's a dresser. And, and he's laying in between the dresser and the bed. And, and the first thing is, like, I mean, you want to you hold your child right away, but you're like, can you move your legs? Like, are we all right? Is, is everything okay? He's moving his legs. He's kicking, all right, okay. So I pick him up, and I'm like, what did you do, man? Are you okay? What's going on? Are you all right? And, and he's like, well, I, I tried to jump from the bunk bed to the dresser. And, and the bunk bed was a little too high for something like that. So he jumped, and he smacked his head on the ceiling, and then he went right down, hit the bed, bounced into the dresser, and then landed on the floor. And, and this, this fear that I had for my child, this trepidation was like, what were you thinking? Like, how could you do that? That is nuts. What are you thinking? And he's just crying. Like, Dad, I, I thought it was a good idea, but it wasn't. I'm like, yeah, that was a bad idea, dude. What are you thinking? My, my fear for my child's safety, my fear and trepidation turned to anger in this, how could you have done that? How could you have put me through that? How could you have made this error, made this mistake? How could you have made me worry in the way that you made me worry? Mary says to Jesus, son, why have you treated us like this? Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And man, we can relate to that, right? We can relate to that. We understand Mary's fear. Maybe, you know, we haven't experienced that ourselves, losing our child for three days in, in the big city. Maybe, you know, but we can, we can imagine, we can imagine the anxiety that Mary and Joseph must have felt. We can imagine ourselves in that situation and how we would react, how we would respond. As they searched the large city of Jerusalem for their 12-year-old son and how that anxiety must have grown as the days stretched from one to two to three. And so Mary is mad. She's frustrated. She's relieved. But that relief has turned to anger. And then Jesus replied, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know this is where I would be? Isn't this the first place you should have looked? Mary and Joseph had spent three days searching the city for a 12-year-old during a festival. For three days, they searched the places they figured a 12-year-old would go. When looking for a 12-year-old, where would you look? I mean, the movie theater? The arcade? The swimming pool, the go-kart track. They spent their time looking in the usual places, the expected places, and, and they came up empty. Back in North Tonawanda, New York, Ken and I had exhausted our knowledge of where to look for our dog, Belle. We'd look at the houses with their dogs. We'd look at the parks. We'd look everywhere. we put up signs. We looked everywhere we could think of that a dog would end up and we had come up empty-handed, and so we went to the place that we should have started. We went to a dog shelter. 
We gave them her information, hoping that someone would have found her and bring her forward. The next day, that's exactly what happened. And we got our dog back. Just as Karen and I had put our expectations on where our dog would be hiding, so Mary and Joseph had put expectations on where Jesus would be in Jerusalem. And yet when confronted, Jesus asked, didn't you know this is where I would be? Mary and Joseph put human expectations on Jesus. They projected their humanity onto him. How they thought he would act. What they thought that he would do. If they'd been thinking of him as the Christ, as, as the Son of God, then they wouldn't have spent three days fretting and worrying. They would have gone straight to the temple and found him right away. Putting human expectations on God. Do we sometimes put our human expectations on God? Do we expect him to act in a certain way, to move in a particular way? Do we expect him to come in and save the day? When science and medicine and biology offer no answers, no hope for the health issues, for the embryo that is, is growing, jumping, and kicking in your womb or the womb of your wife or loved one, do we expect God to do a miracle? Because that's what he should do, right? Like in our logic, in, in human understanding of God as a loving God, that means he saves sick little babies, right? Or maybe it's cancer. Or maybe it's pneumonia. Or maybe it's unemployment. Or maybe it's singleness. Or maybe it's loneliness. Or maybe it's your kids, or maybe it's your parents, or maybe it's something else. In a long list of problems that we have as humans. The infamous question, if God is a God of love, then why do bad things happen? Do we expect God to come in and save the day? He can. He has the power, he has the ability. But God does not always act as we expect him to. I'm reminded of a story of the story of Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19 verses 11 to 13. Elijah is he's being pursued by the queen Jezebel because he had all of her prophets of Baal killed. They, they kind of had a, I don't know, like a sacrifice off, if, if you want to call it that. Where, uh, where the prophets of Baal were like, yeah, Baal's so powerful and he's so awesome. And Elijah's like, no, actually God's like the true God and Baal's got nothing on God. And so they decide to have this, this situation where they, this, this like experiment, this test to see which God is, is the true God. And, and so the prophets of Baal, they come and they, they bring their offering. They bring this, this offering of this ox and they put it on a, on a, you know, a burnable pyre. And then they all start dancing around it and they're like, whipping themselves. They're calling to Baal to bring down fire from heaven and, and accept this offering. And so they're doing all their dancing and they're singing. And, and Elijah, I mean, now I get it and I love it, but he's kind of being a jerk. Like he's sitting back and he's like, yeah, where's your God at? Is, is he going deaf? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe that's why he's not responding. Maybe you got to sing a little louder, whip yourselves a little more. Like he's, he's, he's kind of rubbing the noses in it a little bit, but that's okay because it's Baal, so whatever. And so they're, they're doing their thing and nothing happens. And he's like, all right, my turn takes that shoddy offering off and he puts his own up there and then, and then they, they get water and they just douse this thing with water. And he's like, all right, God, if you're God, strike this sucker with fire. Boom, pillar of fire comes down. 
nukes the whole thing. I am God, God's saying. And, and then they go and they're like, all right, all you prophets of Baal, and they just wipe them out because your God ain't real. Your God ain't real. My God's real, says Elijah. And Jezebel's ticked. Like she is furious at Elijah for killing off all of her priests. These are, these are her priests of Baal. He just, he just takes them out. So he is scared for his life. She's like, I'm coming after you. You're mine, Elijah. You're done. And, and, and so all, he's scared and he runs away. And through a series of events that include being fed by an angel and traveling for 40 days, he ends up in a cave at Mount Horeb. And, and the Lord says to him, he said in verse 11, he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now, there was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, what are you doing here, Elijah? As a kid, I remember hearing this story and thinking, oh yeah, man, God's in this huge, powerful wind. And then, okay, maybe, maybe not. I guess he's not in the wind. And then, ah, the earthquake. Yes, here we go. Here's the power. We're going to find it in the earthquake. And then, and then that, that, that wasn't the case either. And then the fire. Now, the fire makes sense. It's a throwback to the pillar of fire that, that guided the Israelites as they're leaving Egypt. Like, that's a nice little play, nice throwback there. That's fantastic. He's in the fire. And, and then it wasn't the fire. There were all of these awesome and powerful opportunities, these fantastic ways that God could have manifested himself to Elijah. But he chose the boring silence. The boring silence? I mean, it's God, so I can't, like, truly be disappointed. But as a kid, there was some, like, disappointment there. This wasn't how God is supposed to manifest. This wasn't how God was supposed to show his power. So many better options. And they're right there. And he chose silence? We can have those same thoughts today. Look at all these awesome ways that God could show his love for me. He could move like a mighty wind and heal my child, heal my significant other, heal my brother, heal, heal sickness. He could show his strength through an earthquake and break the foundations of the sins that hold us captive. He could move as a fire and burn away all of the, of the pain and the difficulties of life. So that hope can spring up from the ashes. And he can do all those things. And he has done all of those things in some instances and in some cases. And he will do them again. But when he comes in the silence. When he doesn't answer in the way that we want him to that we expect him to, how do we react then? How do we react then? In our sinfulness, we put human expectations on God. 
We want him to not only provide the answers, but we want the answers, the solutions to, to be the, the solutions that, that we desire. We want the answers, the solutions to our problems that we desire. And yet looking at our text, how does Jesus answer Mary? Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? What do we learn from this answer? We learn that God is always where he is supposed to be. He is always where he is supposed to be. He's always where he is needed. He may not manifest in the way that we want him to or expect him to, but God is always where he's supposed to be. He's always where he is promised to be. From his answer, we learn that human expectations are an ill-fitting suit. For our God, he moves in ways that, that we cannot begin to imagine or understand. And so to expect him to act according to our narrow understanding of life is a constraint. It's a limitation. It's a suit that doesn't fit. A suit that God sheds immediately and unapologetically. For God understands our situation better than we ever can. He knows the pain that we are feeling better than we ever will. For he has walked our road. All of our pain, our shame, and our sins were carried to the cross and paid for. He has intimate knowledge of all that ails us, for it ailed him as well. Though God does not always give us the answer that we seek, he also does not abandon us to the journey alone. Though he may not show up in the ways we expect him to or the places we want him to, he is always right where he needs to be. He's in the fire with us. He's in the storm with us. He has put us in the palm of his hand. He loves you. And God's love is not the cheap, flighty, temperamental thing that, that we've come to understand as love. God's love is deep. And it's sacrificial. God's love is pure and desires the best for each of us, whether it's what we want or not. God's love is patient and kind, and it overwhelms, and it comforts. And we cannot hide from it, nor be lost to it. It always forgives. This past week, we celebrated the birth of Jesus, and it is through Jesus and his work on the cross that God has met the deepest, most crucial need that each of us here today has. Because of the work of the Son and our belief in that work, we have the promise of eternity with the Father. In our sin, we were helpless. And so he did what we could not even imagine. He took the sin of the world on his shoulders and died. So that through faith, we might be reconciled to God. God's love met our deepest need. What a God we serve. What a God that loves us, that went to great lengths to be reconciled to us. 
He does not always work in the ways that we expect. But he works everything together for his glory. May he be praised forever and ever. Amen.